Welcome back, Skigglers, to another episode of the Skits and Giggles podcast. I'm Pascal, and I'm joined by Bryson. How's it going, buddy? Hey, everybody. Hi, Pascal. I'm doing well. Very excited for this one, actually. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've been talking a lot about uh, making stuff at home recently, and uh, I must say I've been inspired by some of the conversation we've uh, we've had. How about you? Oh, I'm constantly pulling inspiration from the guests we meet and the, the topics we talk about. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's mountain biking, right? So... <laughs> well, I ended up with a, an explosion of tools inspired by um, Reto Abiger and his uh, pretty wild toolbox and uh, inspired myself to come up with a redesign of my own toolbox and then spend a week on the floor, head over and kill, destroyed my back and then realized I need to redesign my entire workspace because I didn't have a workspace in my cellar and then so ended up designing an own workspace like a worktop and custom shelves and everything so that that explosion of tools ended in a custom workshop project uh, and now we're back to the tool the toolbox so that's still ongoing so uh, but yeah today we uh, want to talk about a other topic another um, take on a custom project that has been requested from uh, some of our uh, listeners and of course we like to take the inputs uh, from you guys and that's why we talk about Bryson's custom hardtail that he built a little while back. And um, Bryson, I mean, you know, there's so many great bikes out there. There's full suspension, hardtail, road bikes, gravel bikes, this bike, that bike, the other bike. Why don't you tell us first, um, you know, why did you want to make your own anyway? Yeah, so from about uh, 2013... I was riding a Kona Hanzo, and actually, I I loved the way that bike rode. Um, I took it everywhere, and I rode it on everything, and I rode it on a lot of things that I had never previously ridden before, and in zones I had visited for the first time. And it was a really, it was a really good time having a, such a such a good bike, uh, and that was because I customized the whole thing, so I had upgraded fork and brakes and basically everything. So it was a really competent bike, and I rode it everywhere, and I was very comfortable on it as well. Um, as listeners might know, I'm, we're both hardtail guys, and you know, like when when once you get into hardtailing, yeah, it's kind of like this thing you just take pride in it, and you you go for it, and that's kind of like you just you're a hardtailer. It's the hardtail life. I don't know. <laughs> it's everything is cliche, but it's great. So um, yeah, so basically, my life changed in a few ways. And I tried to come up with some ideas for myself on how to kind of like roll with the punches and guide myself back towards cycling um, like as a profession. So I never worked uh, professionally in the cycling industry at this point, but I wanted to kind of find my way there. And I had a extended stay in Europe and I came back and there was the British Columbia bike show. So the BC bike show, uh, Canada place. And I was there, um, representing, um, one of the, the clubs that I was affiliated with and Paul Brody was there and he was just in his lonesome booth, one stool. He's just sitting there, you know, like leaned up against a stool, cross-legged, a stack of books, stack of orange books on the side. And, you know, he's just kind of like uh, looking around, being the old Paul that he is. 
Um, and I was like, oh my God, that's Paul Brody. This is, this is, a, this is I mean, I never met him. I never saw him, but I knew about him, of course. Like he's a legend in, in, in BC in Vancouver. So I was just like, oh my God. Okay. So I just worked up the courage and I went, and I was like, hey, Paul Brody, right? Yeah. And, you know, he's very kind, very quick witted. Um, and uh, we had a nice conversation and I was like, okay, I need to like get some cash so I can buy his book. So I came back with some cash. I bought his book. He autographed it for me. And um, yeah, basically talked about his frame building course. And I was like, this is what I need. So um, my my significant other, my better half, came to visit me. Um, she was she was living in Europe, and that's the reason I had gone there previously. So she came come in February, and we discussed it. And we discussed also kind of like how we were going to basically uh, continue our lives together. And, and that was for me to go to Europe, to Switzerland. Um, and uh, I kind of wanted to just make this last big deal and hit this frame building course, like full, you know, full gas um, as like my kind of like my shining moment before I, before I kind of like, I, I, I took off for a while. So, yeah, I was like, okay, so what am I going to do? Um, I'm going to build a hardtail uh, because the conditions were that I can't be a full suspension. There were, there were a couple conditions. And so I thought, you know what? I've been running the Hanzo for a long time. It's a great bike. But one thing I wish I ha- it had well, it was a slacker head angle. <laughs> so basically, I took a look at all of like the most modern geo bikes, the Nikolais, the BTRs. Uh, even what was what Chromag was doing, and I was like, okay, I need to do something like this. Um, and yeah, I basically just kind of it, it evolved from there. And um, yeah, I mean, of course, there there's now many many different ways to to build your own frame. And of course, you know, we just heard the story about uh, about uh, how you met Paul Brody. But uh, before then, did you ever have uh, a vision that uh, you know that you wanted to to make your own and? Uh, have you already researched before how to make your own frame or was that really pure coincidence? In, com- in comparison to what I learned, I think I didn't really have much of a, of an, of, of an understanding on how to build a frame. And like, I, I learned to weld. I've learned to do MIG welding and TIG welding. Um, I've actually, you know, done it and uh, built some things before. Nothing, uh, nothing I would ride, let's say. <laughs> But uh, things that like stay together. Um, so I had the idea of like how that works, how metal is joined, um, you know, from taking um, engineering courses. I understood the way fabrication works. I'd worked in a fabrication shop. But there's a lot of intricate details that, uh, you know, they, actually Paul goes over when you go to his course. And um, unfortunately, it's no longer offered, but... It's, it's something you'll find when you attend one of these courses or when you have um, a intended lesson on these kinds of things, you learn specific things about the crafts. And yeah, I mean, just seeing things on the internet and reading about them casually um, or even from, uh, from like educated education books doesn't really give you all the pieces well, I guess uh, I mean that's also something that um, Stefan Lawrence was mentioning in his uh, 
in his conversation is also like you know you know the mistakes that you make along the way and you push it too far and then you come back and then from there you build and and uh, they exchange ideas with other people and i guess if you if you work with such an experienced hand like uh, paul brody and i guess at the time he was in his 50s um or even 60s i guess and um you know then you take this this uh, accumulated uh, history of mistakes of pushing it too far and finding by coming back to base and and refiguring it out and building from there i guess uh, that's great if you can you can have that experience of you know mentorship and, and it's kind of almost this apprenticeship uh, kind of uh, i mean obviously that's how apprenticeship works but it's cool to have that experience um by such a such an iconic uh, builder yeah, I actually feel, um, yeah, I'm very grateful to have that opportunity. And it was actually really, uh, we lucked out because it was me and Jesse. We uh, we signed up for the course for that week and there was actually supposed to be uh, a third and a fourth. And so there was a complication with the third and the fourth got sick or something. I forgot the exact circumstance, but then it just was us two. So it was like almost a, it was a two to one, right? So it's, we had a lot of attention from him. Oh, that's great. I mean, then, then you really, really benefit from, from that guided mm-hmm. experience. But I mean, of course, yes, Paul Brody in, in BC, a big thing, but there's other BC builders that, uh, you know, they're pretty famous worldwide. I mean, another name that sticks out is obviously Chris DeCarif. Mm-hmm. Did you, um, did you also look at, uh, other builders in your kind of assessment of, should I really go with Paul Brody or, or did you look at other courses at all? I didn't actually. Um, once I had spoken to him, and you know, it was basically like he told me some rough dates of when the next ones were, and he was just like, "Yeah, you know, just go on the University of the Fraser Valley website, and you'll you know search it, and you'll find it quite easily, and you know, you can sign up from there. You get you get the dates." Um, I was pretty much sold. Like I had talked to him, we created a good rapport immediately. Um, I had already looked up to him as a, you know, icon. And I thought, you know what, this is, this is it for me. Like I don't need to look anywhere else. Of course I knew already about the bicycle Academy in England, but I wasn't about to like jet sit over there just to do that course. And then just like come back. And I think it's a little bit too complex, let's say just for, for doing that for, for my taste. I mean, a lot of people enjoy going over there and doing that kind of thing. And, and it's likewise for Paul, he had other people coming internationally because, you know, they wanted to be, you know, taught, let's, let's say by, by the famous Paul Brody. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was a opportunity I couldn't pass up and I glad I didn't. Okay. All right. Well, that's, uh, you know, I guess that's, uh, if you, if you feel it in the moment then that's uh, as much as you need, right? Um, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the course. You said it was, uh, at a, at a uni course, so like, uh, Simon Fraser university, um, BC, Vancouver. Um, what was the, what was the general format? Was it like more like a real university course? Uh, Paul Brody stands in the front and this is a blowtorch and here's a tube and this is how you hold it. Or was it much more involved? Uh, so, okay, so it was at the University of the Fraser Valley in Abbotsford. It was at their airplane hangar, oh. and they just kind of like gave him a corner um, with, and he outfitted it with all these tools, lathe and different kinds of machines, hand tools, a little welding area, uh, a bunch of acetylene tanks, and you know all this kind of stuff to to get the stuff done. Um, 
So it was a two-week course. Um, the first week, you're basically learning from him how to build a bicycle. So you, he breaks down all the steps, and you complete a little baby bike, a little baby front triangle in the first week. And it's kind of like the the squirrel trap. So you, if you can't really finish that baby bike by the end of the week, you're going to have some trouble finishing a Basically, it's like two bikes the next week, right? Because you're not only doing all the same fabrication techniques to the front triangle, but you have to also do it to the rear. And that's actually like when you think about it, it's, that's like a kind of like two extra pieces coming off the back, right? And they all have to get aligned and they all have to fit together. And yeah, so it's it's a little more complex. Um, the second week, yeah, you basically uh, you have your tubes picked out and your design already ready. Um I guess you go through some, some people can go through, like through some last checks and just kind of suss things out. But basically, yeah, you get your tubes, you start cutting them just like you had practiced the week before and you build your frame. Um, most people are able to finish it by the end of the second week. Uh, but there's a couple of people who need to, you know, I mean, there's always outstanding circumstances, outstanding circumstances. And uh, yeah, Paul's pretty, um, he's pretty helpful with those people who can't finish it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that was that would have been my my next question or a question to to the course, right? It's kind of you obviously have an engineering kind of background. You've had some TIG welding courses already at uh, college or uni, uh, but for let's say someone that does not have a technical background or an engineering background, you know, is there are there any prerequisites for a course like that, or does he give you the basics of like, okay, this is how you weld and this is how you cut a tube or yeah, off the top of my head, I can't say I remember if there were some prerequisites. Um, he does basically go through all the techniques. So he is basically teaching you to make it. Um, and he's, he's there to guide you on each step. Hey, did you check that? Or this is the next few things you need to look out for before you perform X, Y, Z. Uh, so I think um, I think someone with very limited experience can still achieve the full frame. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, some frames are quite involved, you know, like towards the later courses, like after mine, he had some people who had like curved seat tubes, which I wanted to do, but he didn't have the possibility for me at the time. Um, and some other kind of more fancier things. Uh, there isn't always the possibility to like create every design that everyone wants. Uh, like some things are just a little bit too complex sometimes. And so there's always the option to like air quotes, dumb it down. So you still get a, a full bicycle in the end where you can attach brakes and headset and water bracket and everything, but it, not, it might not be to the dream spec that you had when you, when you entered the course, maybe you wanted to have like specific dropouts and like interchangeable this and that, and you know, might not be possible before the end of the course. Okay, I was, so there is like follow-on courses that built on the first course, or how does that work? Um, he did say that there were reoccurring students who like came back and basically worked on their own and had like very minor uh, kind of instruction or interaction with him, but just had him there as kind of like safety net or whatever, like just in case of like, oh, you know, does this look right? Oh, okay, you might want to take a look at that instead. Um Actually, what, what happened for me is we had um, we had discussed something and it didn't 
formulize or didn't um, it didn't come out by the end. And so what he did was he actually, um, because I was living not so far away, he invited me to his workshop and actually got to visit him at his residence. And he has a really nice workshop with a couple of motorcycles that he's working on, the Excelsior. And uh, yeah, he just finished off something really quick for me on the lathe and we had a chat and uh, then I was on my way. Sounds like a, sounds like a pretty good experience. And uh, the, uh, I guess uh, before we get to the result... Maybe we should talk about the, the plans that you set out. I mean, you talked about the Honzo that, uh, that you really, really liked. Um, but, uh, but how did you go about deciding what kind of frame to build and how did you, how did you go about with like, you know, the geometry and, and how the different features work? Did he help you there as well? No. That, okay, so that's a prerequisite. You have to come with a, with a design already, an intent to build. So you basically have to have your geometry numbers already sorted. Um, you have to have a good grasp on like what tube sets you want to use, or at least like uh, the dimensions, uh, because there is a limited stock of like what is available, but that is made obvious to you when you're there and then you're able to adapt your design so that you can use what is on hand or what's in stock. Um, for me, I came in with a super extreme geometry. So basically think like Geometron hardtail. And actually the tube sets that he had weren't long enough for the for the bike that I wanted to build. And, and I'm actually very grateful because it would have been way too long. Because the bike I made is actually like at the at the far reaching end of how far I would want a bike. Um I'll just quickly walk you through what I did was um, basically took in some of the ideas in the world. Like I said, BTR, uh, what Nikolai's doing with Geometron and um, there are gone hardtail uh, and Chromag. And so, and then of course my Hanzo. And basically what I did was I, I went to BikeCAD. So BikeCAD.ca. And I like plugged in, I, I measured up my Hanzo, my Hanzo and I plugged in my Hanzo and I basically created my Hanzo in BikeCAD. And then from there, I started like tweaking. So I tweaked like the head tube angle, head tube length, C tube length. I wanted to basically create like a custom version of the Hanzo. So like keeping all like the best attributes, the ones that I like, the ones that fit me, let's say uh, ergonomically. So like C tube length. Um, I wanted to uh, keep the head tube length not too, not too dissimilar because I also wanted to put all my parts from my Hanzo that I could onto my new frame. So basically like, yeah, just port like everything over. And I was able to do that for the majority of my parts, not the seat, um, not the dropper post, but you know, the four cranks wheels. And, um, yeah, so basically I went in bike CAD and I made like several iterations of like a modified version and I would like tweak a little bit, come back a couple days later and be like, no, I like this, you know, cause I was like a little bit inspired or like kind of motivated from what I'd seen other people doing or like found on the internet. And I was like big into constantly scanning the pink bike, uh, hardcore hardtail, uh, form thread. And these guys, they post some magnificent photos of hardtails and I'm just like, Oh, I haven't noticed that detail before. Okay. I want that. Or I thought about like, Oh no, wait, I want to be able to put two bottles in the frame. 
And then at one point I bought like an Ortlieb uh, waterproof frame bag. And I was like, okay, I want to make sure I have the dimensions to fit this frame bag. Cause I like want to do bike touring or bike packing. Cause like that was starting to blow up. And I was like, oh, that sounds adventurous. I want to do that. So there's like way too many ideas swirling around. And I kind of like lost touch with like the original intent of making like a basically like the new Hanzo, the ESD. And like, that was kind of like the original idea. But then it morphed into more of like what I felt like I wanted from a bicycle because I knew I was going to take this bicycle with me back to Europe. And I thought, you know what, you know, I don't, I'm not going there to anything like any specific work. So I kind of had some time in my hand. So I thought, you know what, I can probably have some time to do like a couple overnight tours. Um, yeah. I mean, use it as more of a multi-purpose bike. So I didn't go super slow. Um, I didn't, I didn't super drop the, the top tube because I wanted to fit that frame bag. So that gives me a little, a little more touring ability. And then I also, um, yeah, decided, okay, maybe I also want to make, uh, the chain stays longer or at least give them the adjustability. So they have adjustable chain stays and they're the shortest adjustability is, uh, three forty. So it's not actually short at all. Uh, so that was a, that was a de- departure from the Hanzo. So basically I just kind of had, I let my imagination run wild and I tried to create a geometry that suited what I thought future Bryson would ride. And in hindsight, this can be, you know, there's good and there's bad to that. So, you know, like, like when many people ask, um, an, uh, experienced person, what kind of bike should I ride? Well, you should ride the bike that you're riding or ride a bike that is catered to the kind of riding that you do. And, you know, you benefit there because it's going to be suited to the riding you do, but it might take away from the riding that you want to do later that you don't know about. And so because I have already been quite experienced in cycling and like a lot of different styles and genres and terrains, I thought, okay, maybe I'm going to push this one a little bit further because I know what I, I know what I, I know what I like and I know what I do, but let's go a little bit further and, and, and risk it for the biscuit, you know, like let's push the head tube angle. Let's push the reach out. Let's push the back end out. I want to see what it's like to ride one of these ultra long, ultra slack, hardcore hardtails and what better way than by my own hand? So I went ahead and, uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can spread out some of the geo numbers if you want. Yeah, maybe just briefly and the rest you can uh, stick it in the show notes. All right. So, yeah, so 430 was the shortest chain stay. Um, I offset my seat post um, ooh, 10, 10 millimeters from the, the bottom bracket. Uh, like center line, I did a 466 millimeter um, seat post length, um, 115 millimeter head tube length, and the reach by design was 480. For those people who are okay, maybe for reference, you should also add how tall you are. You're slightly shorter than me. Yeah, so on a good day, I would say I'm like 175, maybe 176. 
Right, it's, it's a yeah. That's, so that's insane. And uh, so a four eighty reach normally today, that's a size large, which for someone one seventy five is pretty big. Yeah, it's definitely a size up. But when you think about it, you know you're on a hardtail, and it doesn't have all of like the the cushioning that you get from a full suspension bike. So in a way, your arms and legs are your suspension. I think we, we touched on that on the previous episode, on the hardtail episode, and. Yeah, for me that that it made sense to like go that far, even though I hadn't put a lot of time on a bike that size. I was still confident that pushing the the size up from so the 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 Hanzo, I believe I was on a four thirty five uh, reach. So like, oh wow, that's by today's standards, that's quite tight. Yeah, exactly. Back then, that was actually. They were they were um, marketing that that's a like an extended reach, right for a medium, and so I, I know I was just kind of like going with the flow. Let's take it, take it, let's go big. Okay, and originally it was built for what kind of fork? What kind of travel? Uh, original intended travel uh, fork was a Fox Thirty Six um, with a hundred and thirty millimeter travel um, by by design. Oh. I left I left out the 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 most intriguing part of my geo. So I actually designed the um, the geo uh, with a sagged fork, so at 110 uh, travel effectively, and that put me at 64 degree head angle. Okay, so what uh, typically what today an enduro race bike has? Yeah, just to put that in context for someone that's maybe not as uh, Pardon my French, balls deep into uh, bike geometry. So yeah, for the time. And that uh, to put that in context, so that's uh, 2017. So that's uh, yeah, almost six years ago now. So things obviously have moved on since then in terms of uh, bike geometry. So this is almost becoming the norm, um, certainly in the hardtail space, but obviously the, the mount- some of the mountain bikes, uh, sorry, some of the full suspension bikes, um, are also uh, obviously pushing into that uh, into that space, and uh, I guess those kind of geometry numbers are typically taken up by, let's say, uh, all mountain to to enduro race bike uh, kind of category in terms of reach and uh, and uh, and uh, head tube angle. Maybe not travel, but uh, that's a different discussion. <laughs> okay, but uh, back in uh, 2018, the first time we met, and uh, the now infamous. Uh, Ration Pass weekend of uh, the Biroma bike shop. Um, you were riding an early incarnation of that bike, and it was then uh, this uh, this now hardcore hardtail single speed uh, for a weekend in Ration Pass. And people that know uh, Ration Pass, it is not quite so smooth. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously, things have uh, developed over the the, the years since. So. Um, so yes, it started as a hardcore hardtail, then single speed, and then now it has gears, and now it has a rigid fork. It's become more of a commuter slash lunch ride slash um, cross country something. So why don't you talk a little bit about uh, you know the different incarnations? I was actually even throwing it, thinking of throwing it on the trainer, <laughs> trainer bike too. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm going to keep this bike for the rest of my life. So, you know, what's wrong with it having many different lives? Um, it, it, hardtails are versatile. Absolutely. So, Fully agree. 
Yeah, so I did I did I did commit the cardinal sin and put gears on it for a very short period of time. I didn't even do one ride, one proper ride. I took it for a test ride and then I decided, no. <laughs> no, bro. This thing is staying single speed. Um, primarily for the reason because I designed it with the um, chain line spacing that it could, it basically, okay, so basically the, um, the rear sprocket is pushed all the way to the stays. So your chain line is way out there. I think it's like 61 or something like that. It's, it's, it's absurd. So I also have a boost chain, uh, crank and chain ring and then, and I flipped the chain ring out. So it actually, it, it's, it's, it's like at the maximum offset. Um, and this was because I pushed the chain stays out to gain more clearance for the tire. And okay, I'm an amateur frame builder. I didn't really capture the whole like. I mean, when you when you when you listen and read about the engineers telling you that that's a problematic area for them to like that like to solve, chain ring clearance, tire clearance, chain stay like that old tight space. They're not lying. That was tough, and I basically made a mistake that I was able to like not get screwed over in terms of like being able to mount any parts to it. So um, I'm still able to run like I right now I have a 36 chain ring on it. Um, and I've, I did that because I, okay. So one in one incarn like the previous incarnation was uh, like a pseudo gravel bike because at one point I was like, yeah, I'm like, I can ride this bike for like gravel lunch rides with my uh, colleagues and stuff. Like, sure. Why not? Unfortunately, like once we get on like the flats, I spin out, like I'm, I'm basically more than spinning out and they're just like casually cruising. So that doesn't exactly work as a single speed, but it, I can't mean it got me out there and I was out there. I was doing, I did multiple rides with them. So it wasn't a big deal. Uh, the tough part is like once they hit like the big climb of the lunch ride, they all basically like gear down and kind of rent, um, ratchet up. And I have to like come at it like mock chicken and just like try to get as much pump as I can at the bottom and then just do like semi sprint to the top. And I'm just blasted and they're like, do to do like carry on gear up, like hit the hit the flat trail again when we get to the top. And so, I mean, that's single speed life. For those who don't know, it's 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 abnormal, but I like it. <laughs> so we got uh, we got a, a gravel bike incarnation, of course the hardcore hardcore hardtail incarnation. Um, I also had it as sort of like um, a non hardcore hardtail, so kind of like a cross country ish setup. So um, middleweight rims, uh, kind of like uh, just. Yeah, normal kind of trail tires, like lightweight trail tires, nothing special. I had um, a more, a little more of a noodly 120 millimeter fork on there. And that was basically to start off the whole like lunch ride era of that bike. Um, it it held up, but it didn't really suit the the character of the bike. It, it really needed to have like... A bit more bar-fied. Yeah, like beefier stanchions. It needed to have like more aggressive tires. Like it has a lot of tire clearance, so it needs to have like two point fives <laughs> with or two point six with a sixty-one millimeter uh, with a sixty-one millimeter chain line. It wants all the tire clearance. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. So right now I got it set up as a hybrid of like hardcore hardtail trail bike because I have like super lightweight tires on it, 
backed up by Kushkors. Um, obviously, uh, uh, tubeless. And I went for a rigid fork. So I, I kept the dropper on there, but now there's a rigid fork. And what ha- happens is uh, it drops the front end, and I got a 66-degree head angle measured at the, at the head tube. Um, yeah, it's a salsa rigid fork. It's got a, um, it's got a 15 millimeter through axle non-boost. So I already have a wheel set set up for it, like carbon wheel set. It's a really nice, it's a really nice, uh, setup. Um, it handles really good. It's like super snappy, um, very responsive steering and it being a, um, a steel fork, not a carbon fork. There's actually quite a bit of like give. give. Um, and actually I really like this guy's. The whole like aesthetic is going for me. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's standing right beside me. So like the seat tube's in a good angle. The um, the forks at a good angle. There's a decent slope on the top tube. Um, good BB drop. It it. I really like the way it sits and stands right now. I also like the way it looked with the with the 130 Fox 36 on it. Like that just made it look you know bees knees. Um. But I got to say, like, this is actually a really cool, low-maintenance, like, take-anywhere, ride, almost anything kind of bike. Like, obviously, you're not going to throw it down Whistler Bike Park, but any kind of, like, normal trail riding, it's going to be a little bit – I mean, it was. I've ridden it on the trails. It's a bit rough, especially when you get into, like, the routes or, like, the more uh, – the steeper descents or just coming around, like, um, corners that are a little more technical. Like, they're going to send you offline because you just – you got nothing to soak up all of these um, hard, fast square hits and undulations. You have to be a little more like, I don't know, um, fluid on your bike, like let the bike do the riding and just kind of like stay on top. Um, but, you know, with a skilled hand, it, it, you, could, you could take it a lot of places. And it's, it's really cool to have something that challenges you. So you're like the terrain is challenging you already, no matter what bike you're on. But now the bike is like adding this extra dimension of like, okay, the bike could do it if you can. So I like that challenge. I'm I'm up for it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's cool. Well, uh, we'll we'll talk again after I've uh, done uh, Trans Madeira on a hardtail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, let's not uh, let's not get off trail here. Um, <laughs> Pun intended, but um, I guess uh, so far we obviously we talked about uh, who you did it with, what the course was looking like, what the geometry was like, the different incarnations of the bag. But I think what I want to spend the last couple of minutes on is um, um, how can you how can you describe the feeling of riding the bike that you've made yourself, especially like that first ride when you you know you've been sweating in the workshop and like you know probably burning your fingers and 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 stuff gone wrong and then you make it in the end and uh, and then it's you know you take it out for that first ride can you just describe that feeling i wouldn't say there was like a lot of blood sweat and tears making the bike i had a lot of actually very good fond memories it was very like it was almost like a meditative like it was just so calming and like i was like centered you know and and actually during the course, I was thinking, man, I should just get into custom bike building. Like it's, it's kind of bringing like a lot of the things that are, that I'm already good at, like that I already like to do. It's like bringing it all together. So it was like, I really deeply considered it like, okay, like what do I need to do to get together to like bring all of these like 
tools together to start a business. And I was pretty close to doing it. But like I said, I was on my way to Europe already. So that was another thing I had had to figure out and actually started to try to figure that out when I was, while I was here. Um, the first ride, though, was a very memorable because it was with my favorite uncle and my favorite cousin. Um, I guess at least just so I don't piss off any of my other family in terms of in terms of mountain biking. <laughs> so they're like my two best riding buddies back home, basically. Like, um, you know, we were going everywhere together. We, we were going to Whistler bike park together, like countless times. We went on several like summer trips, spring trips, club trips, like, you know, we even called ourselves Team Umlaut, and that was, you know, um, spawning from the fact that, uh, yeah, my my uncle's side or my my yeah my that side of my family is from a, a German uh, heritage, and, and you know the Umlaut is synonymous with uh, you know uh, Deutsch Deutsch language. So um, yeah, we kind of had to play on that. We would yell it out, Team Umlaut. So you know we're on this on this trail ride, and um, I finally have my bike built up. It's not like to the exact spec that I was hoping to build it because there's some things that I couldn't take off my Hanzo, but it was like trail ready for sure. Um, it was actually a group ride with like um, NS Ride, so North Shore Ride, which is like the largest bike club in North Vancouver, and we had gone out to Squamish. Um, we hit up a climb trail, and uh, yeah, I mean, there were some people who hadn't seen me for a while because I was uh, I took off for a little bit, and I came back, and they're like, oh my God, you're back. Like, when would you get back? Where you been? This and that what are you riding? Where's your Hanzo? Yeah, this is a bike I built, Paul Brody's frame building school. They're like, oh my God, (laughs) what has happened to this guy? So it was super memorable because there was all these people, like basically all like the people I normally ride with, all just, you know, super interested in what happened, what I did and where I've been and, you know, what I've made. Um, in the end, we had a really nice bike ride. I ticked off a couple trails that I hadn't done, a couple features that I never was able to hit before, or like, you know, just by incidents never did. Um, yeah, it was a great day, perfect weather, cool people, had an awesome burger at the end with my uncle and my uh, cousin. And, uh, yeah, it was like the christening ride and it was well, it was like a proper one, you know? Very good. No, I like to I like to ask this question because it's a, uh, um, yeah, you know, also with with uh, Reto who who built his own carbon bikes, and I have my own experience with my own custom bike. Unfortunately, I didn't build it myself. Uh, I had uh, I had a custom frame builder make my road bike, but it's just like this anticipation of, you know, in my case, this was built over. 18 months i flew down to italy to pick it up i brought it home i got collected all the parts you you build you built it up yourself you get everything ready and then you you know then there's the time on the weekend or whatever it was and it's like now it's the time to to go out and this this anticipation of like oh my god what if it sucks what if it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then you obviously you swing a leg over it and uh, and then you go for a ride and it's just exactly what you wanted it to be and uh, and i think that's a really uh really one of the, the coolest feelings even today when you have a, a new a new project bike that you've building and you've been uh you know 
overthinking it in your head a million times of, of how the things all work together and how you want to spec it. And, and I think uh, building your own frame actually takes that whole notion to, to another level. And um, yeah, it was really, really cool to share this, share this story about your bike. A pleasure. I hope I inspired some people out there to, to go out and create their dreams. <laughs> well, speaking of dreams, I mean, uh, you've uh, obviously made a, a steel uh, hardtail. Um, are there any ideas, plans, wishes, dreams to work uh, on with different materials and make another frame? Um, yeah, I'm certainly open to doing that. Uh, I kind of parked the idea of building more bikes. Um, you know, a little bit like uh, like Reto. I have a couple projects, like always, like kind of in the wings or one on the shelf that I just kind of just just waiting for some time or you know inspiration or whatever motivation. You're currently under um, underthinking it still. <laughs> you haven't overthought it. However, ever since I took an interest in bikes, I had thought about building my own full suspension bike, and I think it's a lot of the same. Uh, for a lot of builders or people who are just interested or, or people who, who, who are making bikes. And they, I hear the story often. It's kind of a typical story. Um, and a lot of people just go ahead and get it done. Um, I, I'm not sure what's holding me back. I do have a really unique idea, though. Um, I, uh, I've already shared it actually on Instagram. So it's, um, it's a handle called, uh, Fahrzeug der Zukunft. So, um, bicycle of the future, I guess would be the translation. V vehicle of the future. Vehicle of the future. And the idea, the idea in my mind actually, so if we want to talk just kind of like a greater scale, um, there's, I'm really interested in the idea of, uh, personal, personal mobility, um, sometimes it's the, the term is used micromobility. Um, there's even macromobility, but you know, like there's this whole new universe swirling around. And I think, you know, for me, it conjures up like things like, you know, fifth element with like flying cars or like uh, blade runner where you have like this, like smart computer car flying thing that, you know, it's just, it's, it's your personal, um, transportation device and it takes you kind of everywhere. I don't know, you know, in the future, it's going to take us like effortlessly with like a very little amount of energy, like lots of places and it's going to be connected and this, this and that. And, you know, I have a far reaching imagination how that will go in the future. But for the time being, I think it's the bicycle and that's why I use that name. Um, but specifically to the, the frame idea that I had was um, back when I started mountain biking, I used to watch a lot of, uh, you know, like mountain bike films, like uh, North Shore Digger and these kinds of things. But the one that really stood out to me was Ride to the Hills. And there was a very specific segment, which was shot at BC Place. So like, you know, basically my hometown of um, Dave. And then Bryson had a brain fart moment. Of course, he meant Dave Watson. Let's get back to it. Um, he did a stair gap at, um, at the stadium and he was on a GT, uh, DHI. And so my idea is to like, kind of create a retro looking version 
but like basically with new technology um, because those were like super prone to cracking and they had, you know, very oval tubes. And like in some ways they were like beautiful, but in, a, in some ways also like they're actually kind of ugly. Um, so I would like to, I, I've already designed and like actually I, I'm also very um, fluent in the linkage design software. Like, yeah, for years now I was, I've been using it. I've, I started using it when, yeah, I mean, way back. And uh, yeah, I basically came up with like kind of um, a linkage um, design for that would look in place of a modern version of the DHI. And that's kind of like what I have on the back burner in terms of like if I want to make a, another frame. I'm not sure if I would use aluminum or if I would just try to do a steel one. Um, it would have to be a really heavier uh, – it would be a have to – it would have to be a heavier steel one. I think, I think a, such a big frame might be a little bit flexy, but I got to learn a little bit more. I mean, like starlings uh, apparently ride really well, so I'm sure it can be done with steel. I think robust is the key word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, we look forward to that uh, Fahrzeug der Zukunft. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap it up? Yeah, I just want to let everyone out there know, I mean – you've got this far in the podcast you're likely quite interested in what we had to say about um custom bikes and and kind of building one of my own my advice for those people who really want to get out there and and do it is just yeah take the first step already you can always find some help um there's tons of forums there are lots of um people out there who are willing to like help you or give you like advice on how it can be done and it's actually a really rewarding experience to like learn yeah maybe from your mistakes but also just kind of like get what you have in your mind onto paper and then like into real life it's very satisfying and i think also the whole idea of maker um is a rewarding process and also a very noble one um and there should be more people in the world who are just creating um you know anything from like stem cap to full-on like industrial machinery like i admire all of them and um yeah it's i think more people should be doing it when they want to thanks for that there's a really uh, really cool cool message and i, I think a great uh, place to to wrap it up before we let you go uh let's just briefly say a few words uh, about uh, our social and where you guys can find more information about the skits and giggles podcast we are currently most active on our Instagram, where you can skid right into our DMs and follow along at Skids and Giggles. And you can find our website with all the relevant links and info under the URL skidsandgiggles.com. Also, if you guys like what we're doing and want to know what's up, just give us a follow on Spotify. Hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to great podcasts. Finally... Sharing episodes you enjoy on your socials or a heartfelt five-star rating on your favorite platform goes a long way in helping us reach more people like you. Thanks a lot, Skigglers. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Pascal and I put a lot of heart and soul into this podcast, and it means a lot to us that you've listened to it. We'd also really appreciate if you shared it with the people that you know and care about. Until next time, Skigglers. Skigglers.